Welcome to the Catholic Foodie Show here on Breadbox Media. I'm your host, Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie. And you can find uh, a lot of Catholic culinary inspiration to help you grow in faith around the table of the Eucharist and around your family dinner table at home. You can find that over at catholicfoodie.com. So glad that you are here with me today on this glorious Friday. You know, it's it's fall time. It is uh, time for football and, and cool weather. Even down here in New Orleans, we have some cool weather. Matter of fact, just the past few days, oh my goodness, it has been glorious, absolutely glorious. Even during the day, uh, you know, earlier, early in the morning, or earlier, I should say, in the morning, uh, probably not as we get towards uh, 11 o'clock or something, but earlier in the morning and then again in the evening, able to open the windows, let that cool uh, breeze uh, cool down the house. Uh, this is unusual for us. You know, we live in heat. We live in uh, humidity. So to have those, that cool weather come through, this fall feeling in the air, oh my goodness, it's, uh, it's awesome. It's a, it's a blessing, total blessing. And uh, we've, got, uh, we've got a good show lined up uh, today for you. I'm very excited about this. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned if you, if you listen to any of the shows this week uh, so far, you may, you may have heard the news or you probably heard it on uh, you know, national news. It made uh, national and international news. But uh, Chef Paul Prudhomme down here in New Orleans passed away uh, just this past week. And um, he was 75 years old. Uh, but but Chef Paul Chef Paul was a was a living legend. This this man was uh, I, I said I think in the show the other day that that he single handedly had more to do with putting Louisiana food and culture on the map uh, than anybody else. Uh, just absolutely amazing when you look back at the at the history at the story of this man and 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 the, the and the good work that he did uh, as a chef, uh, internationally uh, known chef, uh, but also a, a person who um, genuinely cared about the people around him. Someone who who really wanted to make a difference in other people's lives, and not only that, but he wanted to be able to make or wanted to be able to help other people make a difference in even more people's lives. And that's that's a, a beautiful example and something I think that we really need in the world today. You know, people who, who think beyond uh, just themselves. And uh, just so privileged uh, to have a conversation uh, today with, uh, with Chef Frank Brightson. I'm going to bring him on uh, shortly. Chef Frank got his start uh, in... The culinary world here in New Orleans uh, from uh, uh, Chef Paul Prudhomme. Uh, worked with him, uh, was trained by him. He was like an apprentice to Chef Paul, was trained by him at Commander's Palace, and then later uh, moved over and worked with him at uh, K. Paul's Kitchen in the French Quarter. And uh, eventually it was it was Chef Paul who helped him and uh, uh, to to start his his own restaurant, uh, Brightson's, uh, celebrating this year their 29th uh, year in Business. You're going to hear more about that uh, in the conversation I have with uh, with Frank. But I wanted to take uh, just a, a moment or two and, and and point out a couple of things. You know, um, when when Chef Paul's name is is brought up, there are a few things that you know immediately, almost immediately, register in in people's minds. I think probably one of the, the first things. It doesn't matter if you're not from here; you could be from anywhere, Wyoming. You know, it doesn't matter. Uh, but one of the things that, that probably sticks out to you is this 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 dish that he created called blackened redfish, which was 
like a phenomenon. It, it was amazing and caught fire and really was one of the things that put, uh, put Cajun uh, food on the map in, in the United States. Chef Paul brought this Louisiana food, this Louisiana culture uh, uh, to the national stage and then eventually, eventually to the international stage. And just um, let me see what the date is on this. I'm uh, trying to, to see. Let's see. Mm. Oh, actually, it was today. Today. No, yesterday. I'm sorry. Yesterday, October 15th. Um, Judy Walker uh, with the Times-Picayune, NOLA.com, the Times-Picayune, uh, wrote an article. The article is entitled uh, Black and Red Fish and Nine Other Inspirational Recipes from Chef Paul Prudhomme. And uh, I love this. She's going to tell the story, of course, and, and you hear a little bit here about the, uh, the black and red fish. But we actually have recipes here. So I wanted to bring that to your attention that we do have some recipes that I can share with you is going to be a link in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com. So a little bit later this afternoon, you can click on, uh, you just go to catholicfoodie.com. You can find those, uh, the links there to those uh, delicious uh, recipes from Chef Paul. Now, very, very honored, very excited uh, today to bring to you this, uh, this conversation that I had with Frank, uh, Frank Brightson. Brightson's restaurant on Dante Street in New Orleans that is uh, celebrating 29 years this year in business. Uh, Frank is a good man, and and Frank uh, shares from his heart about his experience with Chef Paul and uh, what he's learned from him both in uh, the culinary world and also in his personal life. So this is the the story today that I want to bring to you, and uh, let's jump right into this conversation. It is such a pleasure for me today to, uh, to be here in New Orleans. Uh, with Frank Brightson at uh, his restaurant, uh, Brightson's uh, Restaurant. Uh, Frank, thank you so much for your hospitality, for, for taking this time to, to sit down and, and talk with me today. I appreciate Always it. Always a pleasure. Uh, tell me a little bit about the restaurant, your restaurant here, Brightson's. What's it all about? Well, it's a New Orleans restaurant. Uh, I'm born and raised here in New Orleans, and uh, we opened Brightson's uh, in 1986, uh, my wife Marna and I. And... Um, we do Creole food, a little Cajun food, um, cook seasonally, uh, try and buy the best local products. And uh, Marna's two sisters work here with us. We've been together a long time. It's a family-run operation. Oh, that's awesome. That's beautiful. And y'all just had an anniversary, is that right? Yeah. we had, Marna and I had a wedding anniversary, 30th, and the restaurant celebrated 29 uh, oh, wow. earlier in the year. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. That's beautiful. Beautiful. And, uh, you know, it's Cajun and Creole food. You know, we have listeners who are kind of all over the country mm-hmm. and to them, they don't know what that means. Well, how would you describe the, the Cajun Creole uh, cuisine? Well, well, I think, you know, it's important to recognize that they are two different cuisines, although Louisiana cuisine is, is very broad scoped. But uh, Acadian or Cajun cuisine is, is uh, French sort of country cooking. Uh, the Acadians came here from Nova Scotia um, and continue their ways of life, farming, fishing, trapping, hunting, living off the land, really. Mm-hmm. And um, oftentimes didn't have a lot of money. So the cuisine was really born out of being good cooks and, and feeding your family with very little money. Yeah. Uh, Creole cuisine and culture, on the other hand, is the cuisine and culture of the city of New Orleans, which uh, is approaching its 300th birthday, oh, wow. by the way, mm-hmm. in 2018. And um, naturally, a city like this um, has had 
cultural influences and immigrants from all over the world. Uh, we were founded by the French, governed by the French, then the Spanish, then the French again. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, you have the influence of um, African slaves, mm -hmm. uh, a large Sicilian influence here, uh, Italian, um, Spanish, French, African, Caribbean, uh, German. Uh, my great-grandfather came to New Orleans from Norway. Oh, wow. Um, and as it happens in life, you know, circumstances create change. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a, a lot of these people came to New Orleans because of changes in their homeland. Uh, uh, in the Caribbean, for instance, the Haitian Revolution. Uh, we had a lot of immigrants come from that area. Um, and the city continues to change, you know, uh, since Katrina, the, the demographics of the city have changed mm -hmm. quite a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, some people left, some people moved in. And so right. it's, a, it's continually diversifying itself. And it's very interesting <laughs> to watch all that. Always adapting. And that's, uh, I guess we could even liken our, uh, our culture here as a gumbo. It absolutely know? is. It, it, it's uh, a mixture of kind of everything. Huh? That's right. And, and that's the beauty of life, really. And it's the beauty of food is, is this diversity. You know, we have palates that crave diversity and we're blessed with all kinds of different things to eat, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's the beauty of life, too. And, and you have to appreciate that and embrace it, yeah. you know. Um, if we ate the same thing every day or if everybody <laughs> was exactly like me, the world would be a boring place. <laughs> so yeah. you have to embrace that diversity. That's right. You know, I, I have to confess, I uh, I shared something of yours the other day uh, on, you had put, posted on Facebook. I think it was when that cold front came through that Friday, you posted <laughs> a little thing about, all right, New Orleans, you know, bring your pets and plants in. It's getting down in the 60s, you know. 66 <laughs> degrees. First freeze of the winter. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Isn't that yeah, funny? everything's relative in life and, and and perspective is important and I also think a sense of humor is oh, important too. Oh, absolutely. And I think I think those of us who went through Katrina, I mean, you know that, that there's a value in that, right? Absolutely. We've got to have that sense of humor. It, we were very fortunate, you know, we didn't we weren't uh, hurt as as so many were, um, although the restaurant was closed for four months, but we didn't have any flooding. We, we, we got back and as horrible as Katrina was, I, I will say that I'm very glad that I went through it mm -hmm. because it made me a better man. I'm yeah. a better person for yeah. it. And we understand what's important in life uh, in, a, in a stronger way. Yeah. And I, I think it kind of forced us to, well, first of all, to see what's really most important in life and really did cause uh, us to band together. Yeah. You know, and you still see that. I think you still see the effects of that today in New Orleans of yeah. uh, people banding together. I've I've commented because this is it's a food show and I, I talk about food and I, I write about food. It's easy for me to point out, particularly in the, in the chef community, uh, that there really is. It's almost like a band of brothers. I mean, it really is a, a, a bonding that happens there. Well, I, I think for me and I know for a lot of my colleagues, it reinforced the importance of our work. Um, you know, it's not just about making fancy food in a fancy restaurant. It's about mm -hmm. bringing people together right. and giving them some joy in their lives. And, you know, food is nourishment, but it also lifts the spirits. Mm -hmm. and, and particularly after the storm and, or any adversity, um, it's important to help people smile again oh, yeah. and appreciate their family and friends. We need to take a quick break. You are listening to The Catholic Foodie Show on Breadbox Media. I'm Jeff Young, your host of Catholic Foodie. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a minute.
Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show. We're uh, talking today with Chef Frank Brightson, and let's get right back to that uh, the conversation. Is that something that uh, that you saw before you became a chef? I mean, one of the things I like to ask chefs is how they got involved. I mean, how, how did you get into to cooking to begin with? Well, I, I do not have any formal culinary training. I, I actually started, like a lot of people in my generation, just working in restaurants to mm-hmm. make money mm-hmm. uh, in college, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, after a few years of doing that, uh, I realized I liked it and I felt comfortable in the kitchen, especially. Um, and so I just kind of gravitated towards it. Uh, the world has changed today. Now we have uh, more uh, culinary education mm-hmm. going on in, in, in the world, and I think that's a wonderful thing. Um, but I was blessed to learn on the job, yeah. you know, from uh, Chef Paul Perdome and from a lot of great Creole chefs that you've never heard of. And mm-hmm. that's really the way Creole cuisine and Cajun cuisine has been passed down for generations. Um, by mentoring, by showing, by sharing with nothing written down. And it's been, um, it's been interesting to see all that develop. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. No question about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. You know, you posted, uh, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you today is that Chef Paul just passed uh, less than a week ago, I believe, um, yeah. or about a week ago. And um, I know that, that he has had a, a great influence on you and your life. And I was really impressed, uh, Frank, you know, reading some of the, the posts uh, over the past week that you have shared, uh, graciously shared on, on Facebook, uh, just memories and, and stories of, uh, of a man who uh, some have described as being larger than life, that he, he had an impact that was not only on just those few people around him that he knew, but literally uh, around the world. I mean, he, he, he impacted people around the world. And, um, but at the same time, it, it was so beautiful to see the specific stories that you shared about how he touched your own life. Absolutely. Uh, the world is a better place for having had Paul in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if, the, if you can judge the quality of a life by how much of a mark a person left, uh, Paul's at the top of the list. Yeah. Um, not just me, but thousands of people that he influenced, gave a chance to, gave the opportunity to make something of themselves. Mm. Um, and the interesting thing in my personal case is that my formative years in my young 20s when I met Paul were also the formative years for American cuisine. Mm. It was the first time, you know, around 1980 when American chefs garnered any respect and attention. And Paul was one of those. There were others, too. But um, it was a revolutionary time in regional American cuisine as as it became more respected and and studied and, Mm. and appreciated. And so... The seven years I spent with Paul and Kay were uh, wild. They really were. I mean, we were, um, what happened on Charter Street at K. Paul's Louisiana Kitchen was nothing short of a phenomena. Wow. Now, where they had people like 300 deep waiting around the corner just to get in the restaurant. 
Yeah, we opened the doors at 5.30 every day, and there was a line around the block, and it, it stayed that way the whole wow. time we were open. Wow. And, and then, you know, as, as attention was focused on Paul and Cajun food became a thing and all that stuff, I mean, we traveled the world together. Mm-hmm. Um, all my trips overseas were cooking trips, and many of them with Paul. And, you know, I learned a lot from Paul. He taught me how to cook, but... He taught me a lot of life lessons too, yeah. a lot of people yeah. lessons, and mm-hmm. and those are the the ones that really stick with me. Right, right. Yeah, I was thinking uh, I was on the uh, radio, a different show, um, uh, this past week, and um, uh, reflecting on on some of the things, you know, some of the, the influences of Chef Paul, and and I recalled a, a time I was in college up in Ohio. And, uh, you know, black and redfish, right? Everybody today knows black and redfish. But this is something that he put on the map, right? This is something that right. that, that came from him. And, uh, I mean, when I was, you know, in the 80s, early 80s, I was, I mean, I was, I was born in 1970. So I'm not like in, you know, I don't have, uh, my experience culinarily during those years is very limited, you know, mm-hmm. just what I was exposed to growing up in Baton Rouge. But I do remember uh, seeing uh, restaurants on in New Orleans in the French Quarter, like with lines around. I remember those news stories being shared. Um, I remember the whole black and redfish kind of craze. And in the in the early '90s, when I was in college up in Ohio, I remember take, going on a double date um, to a restaurant in Pittsburgh. And it was a Louisiana-themed restaurant, and I can't remember the name of the place now, but I remember that they had black and redfish on the on the menu, you know. And and the fact that I was from Louisiana, one of the other uh, people on the on the double date were from Louisiana. Chef wanted to come out and talk to us and, and meet us and find out how his black and redfish was. And publicly, I'm gonna say it was great. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it's it's interesting how powerful food is and how food brings us together and. And here in Louisiana, um, especially how food is really the language of our culture, yeah. you know. Um, you know, I, <laughs> as it happens, I was there when Paul Black and the first Redfish wow. at Cape Paul's. Wow. It was he and I in the kitchen. And uh, we were just before we opened that night and he uh, had the station set up and he got over there and he heated up a black iron skillet and he seasoned the fish and passed it in butter and put it in the skillet and it started smoking like crazy and I was standing there just quietly but very skeptical (laughs) and then he turned the fish and I saw that blackened top and I got really skeptical oh wow and then when the fish was done, he put it on a plate and he said, here, taste this. And I said, oh, my God, it's the best fish I've wow. had in my life. Wow. And um, shortly thereafter, the, the doors, front doors opened and he took that one piece of fish and, and walked out and gave everybody a little taste as they walked in. Oh, wow. And the rest literally is history. It was, you know, it became massive huge mm. uh, around the world and it was the dish that really was at the forefront of the Cajun craze as it were um, and unfortunately I think there was a lot of bad black and red fish back then too oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. people trying to duplicate it and misunderstanding it but it, it is a wonderful technique and recipe and, and way to cook fish of all kinds um, if it's done right mm. and um, you know it was I, that was me blacking a lot of those fish back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I left Cape Paul's after six or seven years, we were sitting around after work one night, and one of my 
co-worker said, Frank, how many redfish do you think you've blackened? <laughs> and I said, oh my gosh, uh-huh. give me a calculator. <laughs> and uh, we, we guessed about 60,000. Wow. But, wow. you know, at the time, redfish was um, not at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, my father's generation here in New Orleans, um, they ate red snapper, pompano, and speckled trout. And they didn't really want anything else. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. how blessed we are with oh, an yeah. overabundance of species. And, in fact, the restaurant I worked at before Cape Paul's, we, we bought redfish because it was cheap. And... Um, I hate to say this, but it was called Red Snapper on the menu. Oh, yeah. But that was not uncommon. But Mm. it was sort of what they call an underutilized species. And and anyway, it it was just interesting to see the whole thing develop and to be a part of it was phenomenal. I think at some point uh, the redfish became uh, protected. Yeah. Well, at the time, there was absolutely no management, zero Mm -hmm. laws about Mm -hmm. size or harvest quotas or anything like that. And um, in answer to this crushing demand, uh, redfish got hit pretty hard. Yeah. And uh, in fact, um, well, we only used one size of redfish, a four pound fish, um, because that's what works best. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, a lot of the larger bull reds were being harvested and sold out of town, out of state. And um, when Paul Paul realized that and the the scale of the the fishing um, on those brood stock, Mm. um, we, we had a we had a pivotal moment uh, in a meeting with a fish wholesaler, and uh, his face went ashen white. Wow. And after that meeting, that was 85, uh, we never blackened another redfish. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Because he realized what it had come to, mm-hmm. you know, it was out mm-hmm. of control. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the state of Louisiana and other states did the right thing. They put some yeah. management yeah. limits on, on the fish. And um, so anyway... Uh, we like here at Brightson's now we blacken yellowfin tuna, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh fabulous. It's a, it's a great way, it's probably the best way to cook fresh tuna because mm-hmm. it sears so nicely and you can cook it like a beefsteak, you know, medium rare, right? Um, and and that's a fish that uh, you know, like again, in my father's generation, they never ate fresh tuna. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, that was like trash fish. Yeah. It was a game fish. <laughs> you know, you saw it in fishing rodeos, but nobody ate it. Right. But you know, this is again how life changes uh, when when circumstances in the world change cultures, and this happened after the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of Vietnamese immigrants come to South Louisiana, mm-hmm. and many of them were and are fishermen and shrimpers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they sort of pioneered the tuna fishery yeah. and uh, as food fish. And uh, I remember a wholesaler bringing us a tuna loin, you know, at Cape Paul's back in the day, and you see what you can do with this. <laughs> well, we didn't know what to do with it, but we finally started experimenting and found out that it was perfect for blackening, and so that's what we went with. Wow, it's just amazing to, to, to see the development. You know yeah. how, how one thing goes to how another. How taste huh? change, how you know yeah. life changes. It's really fascinating. Wow. We need to take a quick break. You are listening to the Catholic Foodie Show on Breadbox Media. I'm Jeff Young, your host of Catholic Foodie. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show. 
We're uh, talking today with Chef Frank Brightson, and let's get right back to that uh, the conversation. I remember uh, you know, one of the stories that you shared uh, this past week was uh, when you first started working uh, for Chef Paul, that he interviewed you. He had, he, had, he had you come back three times, wasn't it? Three times? Yeah, that's right. It, it was, um, you know, it was a, a, what they call a life changer for me. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, 24 years old. Uh, I had left the job I was working at and uh, the apartment I was living in, the building got sold. I was evicted. I didn't have a car. Mm. So I was, you know, jobless, homeless and carless. Yeah. And so I, at the age of 24, I moved back with my folks. And after a couple of weeks of that, you know, I realized, man, I got to do something. And so right. I just happened to pick up the newspaper that day and looked at classified ads and there was an ad for Commander's Palace, one of the finest restaurants in New Orleans. And it said, uh, now hiring Creole cooks or people willing to learn Creole cuisine. And I said, that's me. Oh, wow. So yeah. I asked mom to give me a ride down for an interview, which she did. And uh, they waited outside while I waited for my time to come. And, and uh, I met with Chef Paul. Uh, and we talked for about an hour. And uh, not about my experience or anything, but just trying to get to know each other, I guess. And he said, okay, great. Come back next week and we'll talk again. So mom brought me back the second week and the same thing happened. We talked for about an hour. And uh, he said, well, come back next week and we'll talk again. So <laughs> on the third visit, <laughs> he asked me pointedly, you know, Frank, where do you see yourself in 10 years? What do you want out of life? And I said, well... I think one day I'd like to have my own little place. You know, I'd like to have my own restaurant. And uh, we talked a little bit. And then he said, okay, we're going to give you a chance. Uh, but you have a choice. We can hire you as a broiler cook. And we put you on the front line. And we'll pay you a good wage. And we'll expect a lot out of you. Or you can start on the salad station, the pantry, and make very little money. But you could expect a lot out of me. Mm, wow. And I said... That's it. That's what mm -hmm. I want mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I wasn't ready for the front line. Right. But I was willing and able to learn. And uh, as it happened in that six months I was there, I got to work every station at Commander's Palace. And, and really, it was my culinary school, mm -hmm. as it is for mm -hmm. a lot of people in New Orleans. Uh, the Brennans, are, are, you know, and Commanders are known for that. Right. right. So I got my opportunity. And... After six months, Chef asked me if I wanted to go work for him at K. Paul's, which I had never heard of. It had been open as a lunch place, apparently, for about eight months, and they wanted to open for dinner. And it was a place that he had opened for K., mm -hmm. his wife. Mm -hmm. And Paul was doing both jobs at the time. Wow. <laughs> so I said, yes, Chef, you know, whatever yeah. you want me to do. So I went to K. Paul's, and Paul would come in early in the morning, five in the morning, do pot cooking, make the soups and gumbos and sauces, and I would come in about 10, 10.30, we'd talk over the lunch menu, and then he would leave and go to his real job at Commander's, mm -hmm. and I would do lunch with a helper, wow. and then I'd clean up, and uh, he'd call me, and we'd discuss what we're going to do for dinner menu. And it was me and a dishwasher in the beginning wow. and me and a helper eventually <laughs> and gradually. But, you know, we started out doing 30, 25, 30, 40 people a night. Um, and things started to catch on. Mm -hmm. um, and then after about three months, Paul's contract was finished at Commander's. Mm -hmm. And he came over to K. Paul's full time and got in the kitchen. And 
by that time we were doing hundreds of people a day and things wow. just exploded and it was just a phenomena. Yeah. And, um, like I said, this is before he wrote cookbooks. We, mm-hmm. we didn't have any recipes. You know, I, I learned things over the phone from him. Right, right. Uh, but I kind of, at some times, I felt like I was his arms and legs. You know, mm-hmm. he wanted to try something new. And he'd, I didn't know anything about it. He'd, he'd say, okay, go do this, go do that, <laughs> and let me taste it. So I'd go do this, go do that. It tastes and say, okay, now do this, do that, and let's taste it again. And so we created <laughs> things like that. And and the menu would make the dinner menu at one or two in the afternoon. I'd bring wow. him a handwritten list of what we had in the walk-in cooler. And he'd say, okay, let's try this, let's try that. And, of course, I had wow. two hours to execute everything. But... <laughs> <laughs> with a help and and gradually the staff built up and we opened upstairs downstairs lunch and dinner we were doing eight hundred thousand people a day at one wow. point wow and it was just incredible and again i got to work with incredible people that were nurturing and mentoring me mm-hmm. um great chefs like george Rowe the fourth uh stanley jackson raymond sutton leroy thomas um you know i I was the luckiest guy in the world. And uh, anyway, after six years of of working at Cape Paul's, Chef and Kate pulled me out of the kitchen and sat me down. He had his little desk in the back of the dining room. The table in the back was his office. And they said, Frank, we think you're ready to go out on your own. Wow. He said, I remember what you told me seven years ago. Mm. And I remember the things you've done here at K. Paul's Kitchen. I remember the time you burned your hand and you were the only cook. And if you left, we had to close, but you oh, stayed wow. and mm. cooked with one hand. I remember that. Wow. I remember the time we were in New York and it snowed and the mayor of New Orleans wanted everybody to close up shop, but you decided to stay open and you broke a record. I remember mm, that. Wow. <laughs> he remembered everything. And so it was time for me to do something. And with their support. And I mean, money, staff, uh, everything. They helped us open Brightson's mm. 29 years ago. Wow. Let me the money out of their own pocket. And I think Kay and Paul wanted Brightson's more than I did. Wow. You know, it's that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, here we are 29 years later. And, and with Paul's passing, I, I am deeply grateful for Mm -hmm. opportunity Mm -hmm. and it's not just me it's thousands of people thousands of people people he worked with people he met uh whenever he signed a cookbook he talked to every single person Mm -hmm. um and a lot of the help he gave people we'll never know about because he didn't do it for that reason he did it out of love and to make a difference in the world And you know, here at this stage in my life and career, uh, I reflect on all of that. And I'm very lucky to be able to teach Mm -hmm. um, in various venues. And this is my way of giving back, Mm -hmm. of passing on, you know, the, the wonderful traditions of Creole and Cajun cuisine to be sure that the next generation understands it and can, can do it. Um, so I teach for the public. I've been doing that 15 years at the New Orleans Cooking Experience. I also teach a little bit at uh, Nichols State University mm-hmm. at the John Foles Culinary Institute. Creole and Acadian cuisine, just one class a week every now and then. 
And I also teach at the high school level at NOCA, the New Orleans Center for the Creative Arts. And that program is in its fifth year. Um, You know, and we started there four years ago with 13 and 14 year olds. And, you know, and I tell them, you are the luckiest kids in New Orleans to have (laughs) this, you know, and, you know, in our profession, I think a lot of professions, but, but here, you know, we're very lucky to have the influence of people like Paul, Chef Emeril Lagasse, Mm -hmm. uh, who is, whose foundation has built largely uh, both kitchens at, Mm -hmm. at NOCA, because we believe in the future and and education is a big part of that and we are very proud of our heritage here our culture and to be able to share it and and speak about it and and instill in in the next generation a love for for this wonderful culture and cuisine is a real blessing yeah yeah the the short the story you just shared uh which you shared on on facebook um the other day you know, I shared that as well on the, the Catholic Foodie Facebook page. Um, it, my comment on that was, you know, this is really an example, right, that more of us need to be able to do this. More of us need to, to kind of step up and be like Chef Paul, who, you know, at, at his own personal expense, right, because it's his, his uh, giving of himself uh, helped you in the very beginning and, and also all along the way. And it was a very personal gift of, of himself, uh, in that. And that's really what the world needs, you know, the more world than needs ever, that. more than ever. Yeah. Um, one thing that I've learned in my life and my career especially is when you give, you always receive more than you give. Mm-hmm. And that's God's truth. Um, you know, I've had, these are some of the lessons I've learned from Paul, you know, whether it's in the workplace or in the classroom, you know, maybe you meet somebody or you're working with somebody and you don't really hit it off so well in the beginning, you know, things aren't working out and it's really rough around the edges. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I had a case like that with a dishwasher at Cape Paul's and us, and I wasn't this kind of guy, but I really had gotten to my limit. And I said, Paul, this guy's got to go. Yeah. He said, sit down. We were in the middle of Friday night service. Oh, wow. And he said, sit down. <laughs> That's important. <laughs> he said, tell me, Frank, is John doing the best he can? Do you think he's given 100%? And I said, well, yeah, I think he is, but he's just not good enough. Paul said, I can't fire a man who's given 100%. Yeah, wow. Mm. And that goes back to what I said about diversity. Yeah. It's you, people are people. Mm-hmm. And this is the mm-hmm. humanity that we all have to understand, the human side of things. We are all different and we all have our place. Yeah. And the real blessing is helping someone find their place. Wow. That's right. You know? That's right. I mean, I had students that I didn't believe in in the beginning, but they have proven me wrong. They needed an opportunity. Yeah. And it's up to us to give people an opportunity. And if you can do that, Mm -hmm. you're a very blessed person because it's the most rewarding, gratifying thing in the world is to watch someone else shine when you gave them a chance. Wow. That's right. We need to take a quick break. You are listening to The Catholic Foodie Show on Breadbox Media. I'm Jeff Young, your host of Catholic Foodie. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show. We're uh, talking today with 
Chef Frank Brightson, and let's get right back to that uh, the conversation. And that, I, th- I think, is, um, is so much needed today, so much needed uh, in our world today. Um, you know, I, I, I recall um, also uh, a couple of funny stories that you <laughs> shared about uh, Chef Paul. One, one in particular, which was, it's true, because when I when I read that story, I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, that's that's me. I was I was the one who used to think that he looked just like Dom DeLuise, right. you know, <laughs> like Dom DeLuise was. I grew up watching this guy, and I, I, he was just the funniest man, and and. Uh, I said, he, he just looks like uh, Chef Paul. Yeah, yeah, that was in the 80s, you know, and, and Paul heard that all the time, you know. God, you look just like Dom DeLuise. <laughs> and so Paul had a terrific sense of humor, and uh, he loved to chuckle like anybody. And uh, we found out, he found out that Dom DeLuise, the great Hollywood actor, was coming to New Orleans to promote a film. So somehow he got in touch with him and, and they made a deal to trade places for a day. <laughs> and as I said, Paul would sit at the rear table in Kate Paul's dining room and, you know, he always had the same outfit on, you know, white pants, white shirt and this little white bebop cap with a hot pepper pin to it. <laughs> so Dom DeLuise got dressed up like that and sat at chef's table oh, all day long <laughs> signing cookbooks. And nobody really knew, you know, we were peeking out of the kitchen window, kind of snickering and laughing. And of course, he's a funny man, too. So I don't know what Paul did that day, but Dom was playing Chef Paul and it was successful (laughs) and it was hilarious. The staff was just looking at each other, just smiling, smiling. Oh, my goodness. And nobody was the wiser. No, (laughs) no. Paul was funny that way. That that's amazing. That's amazing. Well, uh, Chef Frank, uh, tell tell me more uh, about Brightsons. If, if folks, uh, we have a lot of tourists that come here to New Orleans. A lot of people like to come here, and you know, I, I've heard from folks who travel here just to come eat. You know, they want to kind of eat yeah. their way through the city. So, for folks who may be coming to New Orleans, you want to tell them like how to get to Brightsons, what they could find, that when you're open, where you're located, all that good stuff. Yeah, uh, Brightsons Restaurant is at 723 Dante Street, and we're in the Riverbend neighborhood of New Orleans. And this is um, uptown at the end of St. Charles Avenue where it meets the river, just past Tulane University. So we're about 20 minutes from the French Quarter. Uh, What's cool about New Orleans is that you can take the streetcar Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. and ride down St. Charles Avenue and see all those beautiful homes. And take a leisurely ride out here and then come have dinner and then you can catch a cab back. Um, We're in an old house. Uh, We're a small restaurant. We seat about 60. Uh, This house is about 150 years old. Oh, wow. And it has a lot of, you know, another great thing about New Orleans is the architecture. And this is an architecturally interesting place. It's a shotgun. It's a camelback. And it's a bargeboard cottage. Oh, wow. And I'm not going to explain that, but when you come to the restaurant, I'll tell you what that means. I'll yeah, show you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Marna, my wife and I are very blessed. We have this business together and her two sisters uh, work with us, Sandy and Rhonda. Sandy was the first, one of the first waitresses at K-Pauls. Oh, wow. And that's how we all met. So oh, I yeah. owe Paul and Kay not just my professional life, but much of my personal life. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> These girls are from North Dakota. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and Sandy met Kay when they were young and um, they were roommates. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, when Kay and Paul opened the restaurant, she said, Sandy, come work with me, you know. And so she did. And uh, so, you know, we're blessed with this tremendous 
staff here uh, who really are family. Uh, we have a lot of people who've been here a long, long time. Uh, Chef Larry Herbert, who runs our kitchen, he's been with me 26 years. Oh, yeah, that's, that's great. Um, Albert's been here 25. Mm. Janelle's been here 27. Pat's been here 27. So um, this is another great lesson, you know? Yeah. I mean, food is our medium, but it's a people business. And it's right. this, the not only the staff, but the guests and also the suppliers, you know? Mm. I mean, Paul did his best to teach me that part too, which is developing relationships on all those three levels. Mm -hmm. You know, and in a restaurant, there are a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of people involved and a lot of things have to go right for you to be successful. So whether it's, you know, nurturing a relationship with a local farmer or fisherman, you know, we work together in this and we're all in this together. And so, um, that's a way for us to get the best possible foods for us to cook. Uh, I buy catfish from the fisherman's wife. Oh, yeah. Oh, wild, yeah. <laughs> wild catfish from Desalmonds, Louisiana. Oh, yeah. I know the man that catches it. Oh, that's great. Um, you know, I buy vegetables and things from uh, uh, a, a cooperative of, of young Vietnamese Americans in New Orleans East. They come to my door twice a week. Oh, man. I'll buy whatever they grow. Um, so, you know, it's, it's very rewarding that way when things go well, anyway. Um, our menu changes with the seasons. There's a lot of things that we're known for. Uh, seafood, of course. Um, we do an incredible seafood platter uh, that has nothing fried on it. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's about five or six different things on the same plate. We're famous for roast duck, mm. uh, which I learned from Paul boneless, crispy, half-roast duck uh, with dirty rice and currently a dry cherry sauce. Ooh, uh, sounds good. <laughs> we, we serve rabbit from Mississippi. We serve lamb from Mississippi. Wow. Uh, all from local farmers, all natural. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, this whole concept of farm-to-table is the way Paul has always cooked. One thing he realized as a young man and and as he was traveling and things like that was he kept trying to recreate the great foods that he had in his mom's kitchen. Right. You know, his dad was a sharecropper, a farmer, and there was 13 children in that family. And Paul being the youngest, he spent a lot of time with mom in the kitchen. And in his professional career, he kept trying to recreate a great potato dish, for instance, but he just couldn't get it the way he remembered it. And then he realized it's not the recipe, it's the ingredients. It's the ingredients, wow. Those yeah. potatoes were freshly dug right. out of the field. That corn was picked half an hour ago. Wow. So he understood this whole concept uh, very early on and in, ingrained it. It's the way we, we cooked at Cape Paul's. Mm-hmm. Back in the early 80s, I mean, we he'd go home on the weekend and come back on Monday with all this stuff from the <laughs> country. And he developed uh, relationships. He'd knock on people's door and if he saw something growing on their field, can I buy that from you? Oh, can wow. you supply yeah. me that? Yeah. And eventually we were getting pigs and ducks and chickens and all kinds of things from from Southwest Louisiana. So now we have a name for it and it's called Farm to Table. table. <laughs> and it's it's not a way of cooking, it's a way of buying. Right. And yes. so it's it's been wonderful to see this whole uh, I guess trend you could say in society today 
develop where we are going back to the roots. Mm-hmm. Um, we're getting closer to the sources of our food and, and we're all more knowledgeable about it. And it makes eating and cooking more pleasurable mm-hmm. and it better for us, of course, but it also, you know, I mean, cooking seasonally is something that I think is absolutely critical. Absolutely. You know, we're here in, in October right now, and what's got me excited is that it's Satsuma season. <laughs> uh, for those that don't know, Satsuma is the first of our citrus crops to come mm-hmm. in in Louisiana. And it's kind of like, kind of like a tangerine. It's a peel and eat citrus, but we put it on our house salad. Oh, so yeah. I'm going to quit buying tomatoes because tomato season's over. That's right. That's right. And we'll have satsumas on the salad until they run out, which is usually mm. in December. And December is when we switch over to Louisiana uh, navel oranges oh, on our I house salad. That. Yeah. So, you know, by January and February, you're not going to find a tomato on my menu. Nope. Yeah. We're doing something different. You know, we don't force the issue. We we take what Mother Nature gives and, and try to make the best of it. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And it brings us all back around the table. Yes. Right? Family. Family. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, uh, Chef Frank. Thank you so much for uh, for spending time with me today. And uh, I will be sure to include uh, the website. You have a website here for the restaurant uh, where people can, you know, sometimes they're on their phones and they need to find directions or something. They'll, they can find them that way. Yep. And uh, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Smells good. Those uh, goodies in there. Granny, Granny Pocket, the goodie lady. My goodness, she makes some good goodies. She's got a thing. It's like a, uh, it's like a uh, cookies, shortbread chocolate icing between. Very. It's good. Uh, it's very good. And indeed, it was very good to uh, spend that time with Chef Frank Brightson at Brightson's Restaurant. Uh, You can find that online, by the way. The website is uh, simply brightsons.com. Frank spells his last name B-R-I-G-T-S-E-N-S.com. Frank Brightson is his name. And um, what a joy. What a joy to, uh, to talk with him. Thank you again. Chef Frank, for your hospitality uh, and for just the, just the inspiring stories, the encouragement uh, that you you shared with us. Seven twenty three Dante Street in New Orleans, Brightsons. I want to thank you for joining me today here on The Catholic Foodie. Thank you for listening to the show, The Catholic Foodie. I want to remind you I do have some links to uh, recipes, famous recipes by Chef Paul Prudhomme that I will put in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com. I'm also going to have a link, of course, to uh, Brightson's uh, Restaurant. Uh, Also, if you have listened to the show uh, earlier this week, I announced at the time a a contest of sorts. You can win a copy of their new cookbook. It's called Louisiana de Mer, which is uh, really about seafood, seasonal seafood in Louisiana, in New Orleans. Um, You can win a copy, a free copy. How? Uh, Go to catholicfoodie.com. You're going to see the post, the show notes for uh, the Louisiana cooking uh, show that it did. It was just yesterday, actually. 
And uh, you can do it in one of two ways. You can call in voice feedback for a chance to win. Just call 985-635-4974. Leave me a message and uh, your name will go in the hat. And next Thursday uh, or Friday, I think it's going to be next Friday, I will draw from the hat uh, to, to announce the winner. If you don't want to call in, that's fine. You don't have to. You can email me at jeff at catholicfoodie.com and let me know. This is the question. Let me know, what is your favorite Louisiana dish, Cajun Creole dish? What is your favorite dish and why? I want to know. And I thank you again for listening to The Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Jeff Young, your host, The Catholic Foodie, and I'll see you on Monday. Until then, bon appetit.